Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome back, Grizz Nation, to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast, a podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network alongside GBB Live, the 3ND Podcast, the Starting 5 Podcast, and the newly formed podcast that I have started this week called The Long View. So make sure you're checking all that out on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, introducing myself as the host one last time as on the Core 4 podcast. And with me, I got my co-host, none other than Big Nate Chester, a.k.a. The Chess Pass, a.k.a. The Chess Press, a.k.a. Negative Nate, a.k.a. The Culprit of the Nathan Chester 24 Grizzly Bear Blues commenter account. Nathan Chester, what's up? Uh, contrary to what you might think, um, that burner account is not mine. Now, I did start Nathan Chester fan account from like three years ago. I don't know whatever happened to that. I couldn't sign into it when I tried to actually here recently. But um, I, I my burner days are over. But, Parker, uh, I'm recording this with tears in my eyes right now. I, now I don't see it, it's, ma- it's mainly uh, metaphorical tears, to say the least, because I'm not really much of a crier. But... Parker, um, this is it, man. Like, we're taking you out to the pasture um, after this podcast. (laughs) The core core four podcast is taking you out to the pasture. We're doing, like, full of mice and men style. Like, this is it, man. This is it. Dude, just way to get gory, you know? Like, (laughs) last episode. You're going to ask me to tell you about the rabbits here any minute, you know? Ah, Our our final podcast. Our final pod on the core four will come to an untimely end. Yeah. Well, before we get into something I wanted to talk about, I'm going to get into something you wanted to talk about. It's just our favorite Grizz memories of the past three years since we started this podcast. So, I mean, obviously that means you had something in mind, right, Nate? 
Yeah, there's several moments that come to mind for me. Uh, one that really jumps out to me as far as just like you see this guy like coming into his own. Um, I'll share two real fast and then I'll let you have some more, but two from the 2019-2020 season, which was John Morant's rookie season. Um, the 35-point, 11-assist game against the Brooklyn Nets, and I believe that was their third game of the season. Third yeah. yeah, third game, overtime win. Jay Crowder makes the game-winning three. I know Joe Mullinax was seething back when Crowder made that three, but he made a big shot, and the Grizzlies were able to get their first win of the John Morant era during that season. And that game wasn't just special. I mean, it had some special moments. There were several John Morant dunks. Um Kyrie Irving is obviously one of the best isolation players in NBA history. He's showing that in the playoffs right now. Um, John Morant locks him up 1v1 at the at the buzzer, blocks his shot at the buzzer. Very memorable moment in and of itself. But he's kind of coming off of a very rookie-esque game, for lack of a better way to describe it. He was pretty solid in their season opener against Miami. And then I was, I was sitting courtside for their next game when they played the Bulls. And he wasn't terrible, but he just – he was still very clearly adjusting to the speed of the game. He was, his reads were very slow. He wasn't putting the ball to where it needed to be on offense. And he ended up throwing a turnover that ended up costing them the game when they were down by two with less than a minute remaining. Uh, I think Chicago came down and made a three to go up by five, and that was the end of that. And so I remember seeing the heat of the moment, hot takes coming out saying mm, – Maybe the Grizzlies should have considered R.J. Barrett. Maybe they were a little too quick on the trigger for John Morant because of that one bad game at the very beginning of his career. And then he responds with really a performance that you'll always remember for the rest of his career in just the third game of his first season. And that was special to me. And I think it was special for everybody to see, okay, even very early on, this guy's going to be a star. There's no doubt about it. Um, the second moment is kind of in the same vein of seeing a guy come into his own was when Jaron Jackson Jr. went off and hit, I think, nine threes against the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, yeah, where he just like, had that like third quarter Steph or third quarter Clay Thompson kind of run, just literally making everything he was throwing up. He scored, I think, 27 points in the third quarter of that game, and I think he came one point short of what was then the franchise record of 45 points. So he had 44 points in that game. I'll go ahead and tell you right now, nobody will. I don't think anybody will ever score 27 points in a quarter for the Memphis Grizzlies ever again. I mean, they still have Jaron Jackson Jr. I know uh, Ja came close to it this season. I think he had like 26 in a quarter. In one of six in a quarter. What game was it against Utah or San Antonio? Uh, keep talking, and I'm going to try to find this. Yeah, but um, you're watching Jaron, and, you know, Jaron's skill set, we've watched him for the last, I would say, three years now. We've not seen three years' worth of basketball from him. But you see these flashes of him being this guy that you really can't find a proper comp for. And we talked about that on Locker Room a couple of weeks ago. But it was that game in particular that you're watching him like handle the ball. He was handling the ball and getting to the basket against Giannis Antetokounmpo, who won Defensive Player of the Year last year. And he was flashing threes like he was Steph Curry. Uh, these threes were not in the rhythm of the offense whatsoever. He was coming off down screens, fading away. I think the last one he made when he was totally exhausted, he banked in from, I swear, like 30 feet. He was well beyond the NBA three-point line. And you're watching him and you're thinking – gosh, what can he be? <laughs> like, who is this guy? What can he possibly be? 
And so you see John Moran have that type of performance, and then you see what Jaron is capable of with his own unique skill set. And you, when you put those two things together, your mind starts to run with the possibilities of like, the Grizzlies have already got this stable core of young guys. Now, what happens when John Jaron become everything that they can be? What does that look like for the team? What is their ceiling? And that's what becomes fascinating. Oh, no. Yeah, I totally understand that. I am struggling finding this because uh, there's just so many tweets that have to do with uh, points in a quarter. Or I think it may not have been um, points in a quarter. I know Ja, that season opener this year, he had 34 points in the second half. But I want to say he did something recently. I just can't. I remember off the top of my head of like what it was like in a quarter. I mean, we've seen Dylan Brooks go off in a quarter for 20 something points. So I mean, it's possible, but besides the point, uh, I think Dylan had 22 in the third quarter against Washington earlier this year. That sounds right. Could be right. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would have to say so. I want to bring up um, one s- specific memory, and then I'll also add in some uh, podcast memories as well. So the specific memory. I'm thinking of, you know, it it has to come. Obviously, the easy answers are the play-in games and that game one against the Jazz. That's such an easy answer. So that's like a default number one over memories over the past. In some ways, I think. Yeah. I want to I want to bring up that that Houston Rockets, this Houston Rockets game at home in the 2019-20 season. It was January. The Grizzlies were pretty hot. And, you know, they're playing another hot team with the Houston Rockets. And you had uh, the James Harden and Russell Westbrook were finally clicking. I don't know if Russ played that game, but nonetheless, it was a good team that the Grizzlies came in and beat pretty soundly from buzzer to buzzer. I mean, it wasn't like a blowout or anything, but they kind of just took care of business and you just saw the flashes of everything. I mean, you saw John Morant hit a step back three and then had some um, NSVW uh phrases that i'm not going to say on this podcast because you're currently recording in a church office right now so i'm not going to do that i'm gonna be respectful uh alley-oops to jaron jackson jr alley-oops to brandon clark dylan brooks was cooking it just kind of like you were seeing just this young team that was one showing out in the present sense and really the 2019-20 season should kind of take a lot of memories there because that team surpassed their expectations by big time, but also it's just kind of like a glimpse into the future of hopefully a a contending team for years to come. But I want to bring up two podcast memories and one I'm scared. (laughs) One is when we had that five man podcast where we debated about Dylan Brooks I don't think that was a podcast, man. That was a mishmash of screaming, yelling, chest punching. Like I, I, I there was literally, I think, a five minute sliver of time where I think I literally just stopped talking, and you and I just stared at each other while Sean, while Sean Coleman, Justin Lewis, and I think I'm forgetting some Connor else, Dunning and Connor Dunning just went at it for like five minutes, and you and I just kind of stared at each other and waited for it to be over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's funny, is that Sean who had claim that Dylan Brooks was another Troy Daniels. He has turned around on Dylan Brooks and become a member of the island. So all in all, it's a big win, but it was just a bunch of chaos. And originally like, I was sitting there like, 
kind of moderating it. I'm like, there's no way this show can go live. It's going to sound terrible. And then I listened to it. I'm like, this is kind of like the talk show radio first take as kind of stuff that people love. So I'm going to just keep it. It was actually kind of, it was actually really entertaining mm-hmm. and uh, really just kind of a, a staple of the core four, but also too that one time we were doing a trade deadline rumors podcast or something like that. And the shams bomb about the justice Winslow trade literally dropped in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> and so we just had to pivot completely. I mean, granted, you would probably have like five different hour long podcasts talking about justice Winslow and then talking about the justice Winslow trade, but still in the heat of the moment, the fact that not only the Grizzlies were able to trade Andre Gudala, but they were able to get a 24 year old wing with upside. Like he had starter level upside and it was in the middle of our podcast. Like that, that's some pretty fun stuff to celebrate. It was a cool moment for sure. Um, and, and going back to it, like I still to this day think that that trade was good for what it was. Um, the only critique that I have about that trade, and we won't spend too much time on this, was the idea that you weren't going to get anybody in free agency that coming off season. So you might as well eat up your cap space with Deion Waiters and James Johnson um, if it means that you're going to get a starter and part of your core for years in Justice Winslow. Winslow not working out because he ended up getting a different injury after that does not make the trade in retrospect bad. It was a good trade to make back at the time. My only issue with it, and I was kind of on board with the idea that like, yeah, I don't know who the Grizzlies are going to get in free agency who would be better than Justice Winslow. So they might as well be willing to eat up some cap space and then they'll have some more freeway and flexibility a flexibility in 2021, 2022. Um, Jeremy Grant was somebody that the Grizzlies could have had and it may be a cheaper cost May, not a cheaper cost, but for like a comparable cost that Justice Winslow would have been because if Winslow would come in and been really good this year, the Grizzlies would obviously extend him over multiple years coming into this offseason, maybe on a similar price line that Jeremy Grant got for the Detroit Pistons, and Grant would have been perfect. Yeah, I mean, that, uniform. that's true. But, I mean, I think that's also a unique situation because, I mean, Denver offered Jeremy Grant the same contract. He just really wanted to go to Detroit. I remember there's an article from The Athletic that was talking about, like, the reasons why he wanted to go uh, to Detroit. He wanted that main feature role, and he wanted to play for Dwayne Casey, and he wanted to play in the in Detroit. So, I mean, it was kind of a unique circumstance. I understand. You can even make cases like, oh, Bogdan Bogdanovich or uh, Danilo Gallinari or sure. basically do, kind of doing what Atlanta is doing, or you could have done – something similar to what you did into the 2024 or to the 2019 offseason where you got that 2024 pick from the Warriors, eat a bad contract for with a pick attached to it. You could have done seen something like that. Probably would have been good for this whole little janky rotation dilemma that the Grizzlies ended up having for uh, the better part of 2021. But, I mean, none, nonetheless, I mean, it's a swing they take. And now we have – two months to talk about the Justice Winslow team option. So that's that's going to be fun. 
I can't, sure. can't wait for that. It's going to be a joy for sure. I'm pretty indifferent on this on that situation it, at this yeah. point. Like I think we've already talked about it ad nauseum. Um, if they decide to pick up the team option and running back for another year, that's fine. Uh, that probably means you struck out in free agency, which um, that is what it is. There there are some guys that I would like, like Duncan Robinson, among other. And there are some other guys like DeRozan that I would like in a vacuum in the Grizzlies uniform. I don't feel super crazy about paying them big money over multiple years. So if they decide to not go that direction and just pick up Winslow's team option, that would be fine with me. The only thing that I do have some level of passion about, I hated Joe's idea about giving him money over multiple years. A short, yeah, short, you, yeah, I, I, I could not... I don't want any type of long-term commitment. I don't care how small the price tag is to Justice Winslow. I just don't want and, that. And here, here's the thing with that, too. It's like people are like, oh, give him the, long, the short long-term deal is to prove it. That one year, 13 millions is to prove it. Like, that's sure. the prove it deal. And if he yeah. is pretty good, you have his bird rights where you can give him like a three and 24. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that I'm kind of indifferent. I know people are kind of like – they, they hear the uh, Zach Kleiman comments in media day. And I mean, it's or an exit interviews. It's no secret. They're high on them or they like them. I mean, they traded for him. They got a good haul for him in, in a, in a vacuum. He's the player. They, like, he's the kind of player you want next to John Jaron, not necessarily as the third guy, but you know, like if he's your playmaking forward off the bench, that's awesome. Sure. But he, like Justice Winslow even said he had a one in a million injury. And that sometimes happens in sports. It just happens. And if they opt in, great. It's a one-year commitment. That's totally fine. But, I mean, he Kleinman wasn't going to come out and say, oh, yeah, we're totally going to opt out in front of absolutely everybody. Two months I, I, out. I when it, it, yeah, I think there's something to note that his tone is a little bit different than it was, like, earlier in the season. Yes. He was his just, tone was definitely different on it, yeah. Yeah, very much on fire for Justice Winslow. So there's definitely more – I don't know if hesitancy is the right word. Um, just a lack of not, – not, there was no desire on his part to go all in in either direction one way or the other. And I think that's wise for, like, where the Grizzlies are at, where Justice Winslow is at with his body, with his play. That Let's just take the wait-and-see approach and say, you know, be diplomatic about it and say, you know, we like what we saw. He was obviously coming back from a difficult situation, and he showed flashes that we really appreciated. And at this stage, that's all you really need to say. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, one, one thing I do want to get into, I guess, is kind of a, the closing segment of the show of sorts, is one thing that was really cool from for the Memphis Grizzlies in this playoff run. And I know the the playoff scars and getting that playoff experience, that's, gonna, that's the ultimate precedent. Like, that's the most important thing from this playoff journey is getting that experience and getting those scars and kind of being able to see it firsthand how and what you need to do to 
compete against the league's best teams. I mean, none, no other way to learn than playing against the Utah Jazz, who I'll say have like a pretty realistic uh, building foundation. I mean, it's not like one of those things where they built a super team or anything. They, they just did a bunch of really solid moves. I mean, obviously the Gobert and Mitchell draft night trades are home runs, but solid drafting put them in positions to get Conley and Clarkson. They took nice flyers and developed Ingles and O'Neal and uh, George Niang. And then they were able to get a B to B plus level free agent in Boyan Bondanovich. And they got a good, they have a great coach. So, I mean, you kind of have a foundation where you can see, okay, this is a building path that can take us to contention. We saw firsthand the benefits of a system like this. But something that I think is really cool to see out of the city of Memphis and for this team in particular, it's just the recognition that this team was getting. I mean, you had like you had Jalen Rose raving about Dylan Brooks. You had Kendrick Perkins raving about this team and hyping up John Morant. You had, I mean, as ridiculous as it sounds, and as much as I, I hate the player comparison stuff that national TV does, Max Kellerman was on national TV saying that he would rather have John Morant than Jason Tatum. I mean, you had Justin Lewis telling us today that the, that the Bill Simmons podcast uh, with him and Russillo opened with a 15-minute monologue, basically, or not monologue, a 15-minute dialogue about the Memphis Grizzlies, even though they're out already. And then Zach Lowe did a monologue as well on the Grizzlies last week on his podcast. So the national attention is just really cool. And Nate, I kind of want to get your thoughts on that just because even with like grit and grind and stuff, there was never this much like publicity and like national hype around a Grizzlies team. So like, what were your thoughts on, I guess, the increase in coverage throughout uh, that little play-in postseason run? I think national media is attracted to star power, and I think that's just generally what it comes down to. And it's about more than John Morant being a great young player who's going to soon be a superstar in his own time. Uh, John's got charisma, um, and people gravitate to John. And that's like been the case ever since he was drafted, going through media days. Um, just his overall personality, the way that he engages with others, whether it's on social media, interview settings, or just he just exudes swagger and that's not just mm -hmm. his on the court performance. That's just his entire demeanor. Um, the charisma that naturally comes off of him. And that's something that makes the national media gravitate. I was um, having a conversation with a Hawks fan on Twitter earlier this year, and he was asking the question himself, why is John Morant more, why do more people seem to talk about John Morant and like him more than Trey Young when Trey Young has generally been the superior player or is the superior player at this time? And I said, like, I think it's like that. I, I think Trey kind of lacks that, charisma that's tough to quantify but I think he kind of lacks that star power charisma now granted I think he's getting there now with his performance in the postseason this year um like that stuff that you put in your legend like walking in to Madison Square Garden and basically just putting the Knicks under your feet for a playoff series that's something people will talk about for a long time they may upset the Philadelphia 76ers. Those are the type of things that will get Trey Young into that stratosphere. But when it comes to John Morant, it's something that's very hard to quantify, but you know it when somebody's got it.
It's the mm. easiest way to put it. And so he brings star power in every way. People point at him and say, yeah, that guy's going to be a top 10 player in the NBA. That guy's going to mm. be a perennial all-star. That guy's going to be a perennial MVP candidate. And go look at the Oklahoma City Thunder in the early part of the last decade. You think the national media in a vacuum would ever care about an NBA team in Oklahoma City? No. Right. But it was not only Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and even James Harden who were great superstar caliber young players that forced people to pay attention to them. Uh, Durant, as quirky as he is, he's got personality. Russell Westbrook mm-hmm. has got personality. And like, this is a star driven personality driven league. And that's something the national media will always gravitate toward. Now, while we're on the uh, conversation of Dylan Brooks, um, Brooks in the right situation, and maybe he could eventually be this in Memphis. I don't know, but he has the potential to be like a Rodman like figure in the NBA. And I don't mean necessarily like his overall impact as a player. He's going to be a Hall of Famer like Dennis Rodman and win multiple championships. But could he just be known and kind of like that Draymond Green tier of just a guy whose intensity for over a decade just rubbed off on a team and he mm-hmm. helped? foment the identity of that team and make them what they were in a similar way to what Dennis Rodman did to the latter era of the Bulls when Jordan was there or how Draymond Green did for the Warriors over the last five to six years. That's who Dylan Brooks is from Memphis. Um, He's got, I think he still has some layers that he can add to his game. Do I think he's closer to a finished product than he is not? Probably, but that's the type of figure that he can be in Memphis and the national media likes those type of stories. They like those type of players who doesn't like the type of player from a national media perspective that when you go into an opposing arena and every second you touch the ball, you force them to boo you Mm -hmm. no matter what you're doing. That's the type of player that people gravitate to, whether they acknowledge it or not. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously when I saw, you know, Jalen Rose, singing the praises on Dylan Brooks, Doris Burke, uh, among others. Man, I, I just kind of ascend to the heavens every single time. <laughs> and, you know, he he's not going to average 25 points a game for the rest of his career or anything like he did in the playoff series. But he, he did show value. And really for him, I mean, that national recognition is awesome. And him kind of, I guess, him kind of getting more of that recognition for being a gritty defensive player who is going to go to the other team's best player while also doing a little bit of the offensive load as well. That's going to bode well for him in the long run because let's kind of be real just a little bit. These like all defensive, all NBA uh, team recognitions, some of it could be based off reputation. The uh, all defensive team more than Mm -hmm. all defensive team, more than any of them kind of go reputation based. I mean, all rookie, all NBA, they, they do pretty well on like performance based stuff. But the thing that hurts Dylan Brooks the most is just reputation because he he's a fourth year guy that doesn't really have that strongest track record of being that closer, that uh, stopper. I mean, on, a playoff team. I mean, the his first season, the team sucked. Like he had the responsibilities, but the team sucked. Uh, second season, he was hurt almost the entire year. Third season, he got to do it, but it, it just wasn't at the level that it was this season. I mean, there was just a difference in intensity and just focus um, on that end of the floor. 
And now he has that reputation of being a good, a great one-on-one defender that's going to hound your guy, hound the stars, and prevent them from having a characteristic night, whether it's Steph Curry, Brad Beal, Jamal Murray, Luka Doncic. I mean, I've never, I didn't really see anybody this season defend like Steph Curry or Luka Doncic or Bradley Beal like Dylan Brooks could. And it's going to bode well for him, obviously, going forward as uh, a center, a corner center of Memphis. I think it's fair to say that the only way Dylan Brooks gets traded at this point is if a, a legitimate all NBA caliber player is in the deal. But I mean, he, he has. He's going to be growing into this, that little, like, I know you said Robin, but like grindfather-esque role to where he's just that heart and swagger of the team. And, you know, people kind of try to be like, all right, why, why are you saying like he's like pretty untouchable and stuff? It's because it's pretty clear that he's a spiritual leader. And if you were to take him off that team, if, if they were to struggle, that'd probably be wise because they don't have that same uh, emotional – swagger to them mm-hmm. yeah i remember but, when people wanted to trade dylan brooks for kyle kuzma once upon a time and you see the uh, differences in their level of production during this last playoff series and that was not a crazy thing to say back then and that just puts it into how far perspective of how far dylan brooks has come since he did come in as the 46 pick in the 2000 yeah, 45th 46 and like that yeah pick in the uh 2017 nba draft that's not normal i hope that's not something that grizz fans or nba fans get accustomed to that when you get a pick in the 30s or 40s that they're all going to turn out to be desmond bain or xavier tillman or you know give the chris wallace regime some credit dylan brooks was their guy they don't normally turn out like that and that just puts dylan brooks's ascension into this and did this Tony Allen grindfather type figure who sets the tone for the next generation of Memphis Grizzlies. It puts that rise into perspective about how hard of a worker he is and please stop drafting raw prospects in favor of older, good college basketball players. Mm -hmm. Please stop doing it, please. There's no better note for us to, I, I don't think anything defines our brand or there's anything that has unified you and me more over the last three years than that principle. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. Let's see. Dylan Brooks, Brandon Clark, Desmond Bain, uh, Xavier Tillman. I mean, I don't, I don't know if Brandon Clark's the best example at the moment. <laughs> well, at the moment, sure. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. he's been hurt. Sure. Yeah. He's, he's been hurt. I'm going to. The proof I mean, in year three. Bounce back here on the way. But, yeah, no, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I mean, he, he's been awesome. And we'll, we'll close the show uh, with, with two quick two quick hitter questions uh, that's go, that goes on the national recognition deal. One is which player deserves a little bit more national recognition? Which player on the Grizzlies right now? On the now Grizzlies, yeah, yeah. More national recognition. You know, Parker, two weeks ago, I would have said Jonas Valanciunas. <laughs> and but, then, yeah, I understand. And then the Grizzlies played a playoff series that kind of made you remember why there have always been the concerns about him in those types of settings. 
Um, it wasn't a Jonas Val. Any type of traditional big man, I think, is borderline unplayable against the Utah Jazz with how many shooters they play on the court and how, first off, I hate to admit this, but how great of a ball screener Rudy Gobert is and how great their pull-up shooters are. Now, I don't think Conley and Mitchell will ever have a playoff series in their career. Well, they will be that efficient shooting the ball again. But it's very difficult to play someone like Jonas Valanciunas against a team like that. The problem is when the Grizzlies are getting into the mode of true title contention, those are the type of teams they'll have to beat to get there. And I don't think you're going to be able to use Jonas Valanciunas consistently in those types of situations. So he had a great season. He was phenomenal this year. He helped anchor this team. He was literally the team's best player for a good chunk of the year. And I don't want to take anything away from that. But there was some clarity for me in thinking, Okay, Jaron, I'm going to need you to learn how to rebound, my man, <laughs> in, yeah. in that way. Because it said, like, you know, this is a great season. The season was a total success. There's no denying that. They competed hard against Utah. Um, it didn't work out the way they wanted it to. But there was a clear roadblock in the way of the, them competing at the highest level against them. So I didn't really answer your question. <laughs> um, I would have said Valanciunas two weeks ago, but I'll throw someone else out there and say Kyle Anderson. Boom, um, that's what mine was too. Yeah, yeah, I figured you might end up saying him. Um, Kyle, I'm not sure what his next contract is going to look like, but I almost think he's going to end up getting underpaid for what he provides. There are not many guys in the NBA who can literally play four positions, one through four, defend all four of those positions, um, shoot threes at a relatively high clip and on a good percentage, um, and do all of that. There are not many players who fit that mold in that category. Um, is he going to overwhelm you with his scoring on most nights? No. Do you want to put him on the other team's best perimeter player? Absolutely not. We saw what happened when he tried to guard Donovan Mitchell, but he's just not bad at anything. He's good at everything. And you need guys like that, glue guys. I'm gonna. I'm not going to say elite role player. I think we overuse that a little too much, and I don't think he quite fits that category. But... He's good at literally everything you could ever ask him to do in a basketball court. And every team, every good team needs a guy like him. How about this new terminology as we have our finale of the Parker Nate era of the core four. How about, how about playoff rotation guy? Cause you know, playoff rotations, sure. they typically shrink, but I think, and like what I wrote about in the, the player review for Kyle Anderson is there's not many guys who can, defend i mean let's be real he could probably defend positions one through five and switch and he can pick anybody's pocket he's a good weak side rim protector he can grab rebounds he can grab and go be a little playmaker uh i kind of i know i saw on twitter like when i was doing research like a while back somebody compared him to boris Diaw, and that's that's always good uh i compared him to like a i always i like saying middle class instead of poor man's because poor man's is implying that somebody isn't good. Middle class, it's like, oh, all right, they're pretty good. He's like a middle class Ben Simmons, where like he does all these things pretty great, good to great. Whereas Ben Simmons does a lot of things great to elite, but the shooting is the one thing that's kind of the roadblock from that next step. And I think that's the same way with Kyle Anderson, even though he showed this year he can shoot. Um, he's more of like a spot up threat than a create the off the dribble threat. He's going to be a fascinating player uh, to 
watch over the next five or 10 years. And I think he's a guy that he deserves recognition when it comes to some of the best defenders from the forward position, just because of how he can get his hands in on, um, on ball handlers, how he can get into passing lanes, how he can switch his size, his length. He, he's just a, a cerebral player. And like you said, his next contract's going to be interesting. And I think over the next five or so years, I think he's going to really, I think you'll have a moment where there's going to be national guys saying, dang, Kyle Anderson's a really good role player, a good glue guy to have on this team for a really good team, whether that's in Memphis or whether that's elsewhere. That's just the kind of wait and see. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that's about all the time we have. Nate, final remarks? <sighs> mm. Parker, it's been good, man. It's been real. It's been good. I don't know if it's been really good, but it's been, it's been both. It's been both of those things over the last three years, my man. I've enjoyed um, recording with you, um, writing with you, you listening to all my hot takes in the moment that I would never put on social media. Um, I still get those. You you still text me those. Like I, I, mean, yeah, I still that, get that, them. That, that, this is more just reflection on our friendship to this point that doesn't really have anything to do with the podcast. But yeah, you'll you'll continue to get those for sure. Um, I'll remember the parts of the podcast where I said things that you couldn't put in the podcast. Yep. <laughs> um, too, too many of those. Uh, there, the, the, I'll leave this for the, it, it's, I think enough time has passed where it's no longer that insensitive, but I'm still not going to say it, but there was something you said about Kyle Kuzma going into the bubble last year that was on my mind heavily when he averaged six points <laughs> in this last playoff series. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, but, uh, yeah, yeah that, that was one of our favorite podcast moments. I don't remember whether you left that in or not, but I don't think I did. No. <laughs> I'll go ahead and say it. Like I said that the ghost of Kobe Bryant's going to play through Kyle Kuzma and lead into a championship. I mean, I guess but you didn't say which in 2015, Kobe Bryant, apparently. Yeah, I guess so. But no, it's been fun. It's been real fun. And, you know, we, we really kind of took off with this and, you know, I sh- shout out to Joe for initially trusting us with this. He literally, trusted us with this like two months after we joined him on staff, which pretty ballsy because we never podcasted before, but you know, we made the most of it. I think we gave y'all good content. I mean, y'all, y'all haven't said anything in tweets or anything telling us that we're stupid or anything. So mm-hmm. I'll take that as a win, but I'm I've sure. Had, I've had P, uh, a couple kids and a couple people at my church come up to me and say, I've been listening to your podcast for years now and I never knew it was you until right now. And I was like, well, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> I hope this nice. doesn't affect your view of me as a pastor. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope, I hope not either, but uh, nonetheless, the, uh, the next iteration of the core four podcast is bound to be a good one. Nate, Nate's still going to be here. He's not leaving. He's not going anywhere. I'll let the the next person up kind of make that announcement himself. Maybe kind of had a little bit of a spoiler there by being gender specific on accident. Him or her to be, to be, uh, Hey, Hey, wait a keep, minute, man. It's 2021. Him, him, her, or they, one <laughs> of those. Three. 
There, there we there go. We go. Yep. All right. <laughs> All right. Follow me on Twitter at Paco underscore Flocka. Follow the podcast on Twitter at the core four podcast with the number four, not the word four. Follow Grizzly Bear Blues at SB and Grizzlies or on the web at grizzlybearblues.com. You can find everything on the podcast network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Nate on Twitter at NathanChester24. And remember, do not cancel him. Mm-hmm. And I'll let you have the honors here. That's really all, folks. <laughs> mm-hmm.